another episode of Trans Regret Snoopy Presents the Bible. We'll be talking about Lamentations 3 today, and my friend Nadia is here to join me to speak on suffering and faith. <laughs> thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm excited to be here. We, uh, we landed on a really difficult, maybe the most difficult book of the Bible, I think, as far as um, faith goes, because the entirety of it is, um, well... It's about suffering. It's about pain. Uh, it's about um, the the ways that uh, we experience horror, essentially, in our lives. Um, but before we get into that, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and how faith plays a part in your life? Uh, yeah. Um, big question, as, as everyone uh, who's on the show uh, comments on, I feel like. Yeah, I guess my history with faith and Christianity is sort of largely influenced by my dad. Um, I uh, He went to seminary for a while um, and, and brought us to church just a few times um, when I was a kid. I was, so um, I, I never connected to it much as a young child, but then um, in fourth or fifth grade, I was uh, converted on the schoolyard by my uh, friend who was a pastor's kid. Um, he had like a little bookmark with the Lord's prayer, I believe. So I started going to his church. Um, it was a, it was a nice social thing and I did, um, connect and I was, I was a follower for, for a few years, um, sort of in my early adolescence. Um, I definitely grew, um, estranged from the church after, after a few years, um, sort of with the, yeah, the suffering in my, in my life and experience, um, of, of puberty, um, and, um, being in a, in a sort of very, um, not, not extremely fundamentalist, but it was a, it was a Baptist church in Northern Vermont. Um, and I definitely didn't feel comfortable, you know, really asking questions or, or questioning things or admitting to doubt. Um, and there was definitely a knowledge of the sort of looming rejection were I to be more, honest and forthcoming with any of the people there, um, other than my father about the things and the feelings I was, I was facing. So I had sort of a lot of distance from Christianity throughout my teenage years, but never really had the outright rejection, um, or hatred for it that I think, um, a lot of people, you know, traumatized by, um, Christian upbringings or, or church communities that really failed them, uh, do. And I, definitely um, retained some sense of um, spirituality in a, in a more sort of metaphysical view of God. Um, but yeah, it's sort of my main line of questioning with that experience throughout the, the church was just grappling with that very base level of faith and existence and, and meaning sort of, and um, how we got here and, and how I exist. Um, so th throughout my sort of later teenage um, experiences with sort of nature and even some um, perhaps experiences with substances, um, sort of came to really appreciate a view sort of unifying like the sort of 
creation story uh, outlined in Genesis and, um, you know, what we, what we sort of know or can reasonably assume from modern science and um, sort of the big crunch and big bang and all that. And then um, more recently in the, in the past few years, um, I, uh, I had just been thinking about it more and more frequently, but um, not constantly and definitely staying in that sort of agnostic space, but appreciating this sort of idea of a oneness and eternity of, of all things. Um, and um, in the in the past couple months, um, I, I think I was following um, your account and um, mainly as, as just a, a Twitter user and you made a post asking for potential guests to have on the podcast um, after I think one or two episodes were out. And I messaged you and suggested um, someone, someone neat who I thought would be an interesting guest, but I hadn't listened to the show before. Um, and then you were like, you responded to me and um, I think you followed me afterwards. Uh, and then I was like, oh, she followed me thinking that I listened to the show. I have to listen to the show now or I'll feel weird and bad. <laughs> um, so I did and I, I found it very interesting and, and soothing and relieving. It really touched on um, the sort of distance I had felt um, due to the that alienation and sort of difference in perspective and theology that I felt so intensely from all of the Christians I knew other than my father. Um, and um, definitely hearing um, a uh, woman of a transsexual experience um, connecting very sincerely and not in some, you know, extremely like progressive or newfangled way uh, to scripture um, and, and Christianity. It just all really spoke to me. Uh, and I, I felt this real intense um, yearning and, and sort of a push that, that felt like it came from outside of me sort of to, um, you know, I wanted that for myself and I wanted to connect with you personally. Um, <laughs> and I, I listened to all the episodes that were up and I, um, sort of, I messaged you with my questions and, um, and thoughts on some things and, uh, sort of thanking you for what you were doing. Um, and you were very welcoming and, um, and, you know, eager to, um, have a dialogue with me and, uh, I found it really comforting and, and touching and, um, yeah, at some point sort of transitioned into us just having conversations. Um, and, and it was, uh, a really lovely thing for me. Uh, and I, I continued really richly enjoying the show and, uh, and connecting with, um, the Christian framework that I sort of had experienced at one time, but didn't really feel like I had access to, uh, in, in recent years. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, uh, probably consider myself, um, the first, uh, guest of the show to be like somewhat converted by the show, <laughs> uh, which I think is fun. It's very, it's very, uh, pleasant for me to be incredible here. honor. <laughs> uh, I think that, I think that wraps it up. <laughs> uh, no, thank you for sharing. I mean, that's really interesting. And, and the whole idea behind, um, the, I mean, the show, having guests on the show in general was to be able to bring different perspectives and, and to be able to bring all kinds of backgrounds. And and I think there's like an inherent bent towards, uh, I'll just say people like us, who uh, who have been kind of um, pushed to the margins of 
mainstream religion in so many ways, but uh, there is absolutely room for us with God. Uh, there's absolutely room in his love for us. And and there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to earnestly connect with the Bible. Um, I think that even though there may be parts that challenge um, aspects of our lives or, or people who are gay or lesbian or whatever, um, there are parts of the Bible that challenge a lot of people's lives and, and challenge them uh, in ways that might inherently say, well, the existence that you lead is sinful. So the, the challenge there is how to gra- grapple with that, how to grasp uh, onto the parts that really um, enrich your soul and, and, and make you feel like full and whole and, um, and loved. Uh, there's so many people who don't feel loved in this world, and it's really tragic. So uh, I usually start with the ESV when when we read the Bible on the show, but there is a description of the book of Lamentations in the voice translation that I found um, a little funny, but also very accurate. So I'm going to just read a portion of that first, and then we'll jump into the, the regular translation. And this introduction says, uh, Lamentations, a communal response to the fall of Jerusalem by Jeremiah, a heartbroken prophet. Oh, the pain and despair of it all. How can God allow such oppression, such suffering, such agony? There are no words to title this book, only the, and here's a quotation marks, it says, ah, of grief and despair. And so it begins. The people of Judah are broken, humiliated, and abandoned in the aftermath of Jerusalem's destruction and fall at the hand of Babylon. Grief can be such dark chaos. Words tumble recklessly, senselessly out of a heart broken with total despair. But how does one express these dark thoughts? They need shape and order. To get a handle on this sadness, to pull the thoughts together, they are brought under the discipline of poetry. So here's where I'll pause because Lamentations is, uh, while it does seem like this chaotic um, series of uh, chapters that are like just people wailing about their suffering, it's actually a very ordered poem uh, wherein the first two and I believe last two sections are um, a, a type of poem where each line follows the next uh, in the alphabet. It follows the alphabet. So in the English alphabet, each line would be A, B, C, D, the first letter of that line. Now, obviously, translations mess with this a little bit because um, you can't accurately translate uh, into f- from Hebrew into English and maintain that uh, acrostic kind of um, structure. But um, the, the voice tried to do it, and it's it's very awkward to read. But I, I'll dip back into that uh, in a second here. So the reason why I think that three was particularly um, important that we focus on instead of one, two, four, or five is that this is what people refer to as the bright spot in Lamentations. And that'll be funny to you once you read into it. Everyone at home, if you're following along, I strongly recommend that you do whenever we're reading because it'll help you kind of get more into the into the text. I know my voice is very soothing at times. Other times I get a little worked up, you know, I get a little crazy, but, um, but it is, um, (laughs) it's important to engage with this in particular in the time that we live in, in the society that we live in, in uh, the world that has been damaged in so many ways that um, we find a way to reconcile God's love with that. And Mm -hmm. um, to accept that, this suffering is something that has happened and will continue to happen, but 
the one thing that is always going to happen is God is always going to love us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this this chapter specifically sort of stood out to me so much uh, because of, I mean, um, obviously I didn't, uh, I'm not weeping for Jerusalem, but um, I have, you know, in, in recent years and, you know, just hardship through my whole life, it's uh, it's been... You know, it, it's always the the hardest moments to maintain a sense of faith or, or connection or feel God's love at all. Um, you know, those those moments where where I felt sort of the the glow and the like holy love or light. Um, those would happen intermittently, um, especially like singing in choirs in high school or something. And that was a feeling that I would uh, chase and really and really dedicate myself to. It's just that belonging and, and goodness and, and sense of. Um, being justified in, in my existence and feeling loved by the world and feeling love for the world. Um, and in times of suffering and in times of grief or, um, you know, mourning my own life or others' lives or um, just resenting my situations or people around me, it's intensely difficult uh, to maintain any sense of that love or, or that light or that connection to the broader world. Um, you know, you really pain really demands that you zoom in uh, and, and you your perspective is just filled with just that pain. Um, and that's isolating and uh, very sad. Um, and I think that's, you know, something that I and, and probably everyone else in this world still very much struggles with. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think this is one of the best verses that I've read personally. I don't have, a, I don't have a huge, um, connection with, with scripture, uh, at this point and, and don't, uh, I haven't read too much of the Bible, but, um, this, this really stood out to me in terms of how, how much it really spoke to that despair and sort of feeling of desolation and, and complete isolation from God or God's love, even, even in times of, um, you know, you can really rubber band very quickly and, and feel, you know, have one, have one day where you feel so loved and so connected. And then the next day, something, horrible happens and you just feel like, you know, I don't think I'll be able to pray for a while. I don't think I'll be able to feel love for love, feel loved for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, the verse will say more, of course. (laughs) And you're absolutely right in that pain, um, does cause us to suffering in any way, uh, causes us to withdraw into ourselves. And uh, the thing that, scripture tells us over and over and over again is that we need to take our pain. We need to take our suffering. We need to take the the problems that we have in our lives and bring them to God, not to withdraw within ourselves and sink deeper into that well, that hole of, of, of that, um, sort of, uh, self-pity and, and remorse and regret. And those sorts of things are not conducive to Recovery. Mm-hmm. They're not conducive to um, to to uh, to love and to um, connection. And the the further you withdraw within yourself, the more likely you are to continue to suffer. So um, I'm rambling now. So let's just get right to the book. Um, I I honestly do want to say just first. I think I think one of the best parts of of the gospel and, and the the story of Jesus to me is that. It really, you know, having this this humanized um, sort of version of God, um, you know, God manifested in the flesh, um, and seeing what He 
struggles with. Um, and, and the way, you know, Jesus wept for his body is, is something that like we've, um, the show has sort of focused on before. And I think, I think it can be easy to sort of feel like the instructions in the Bible are very like unattainable and, and sort of cast them off or, or brush them off. Um, but that's sort of the, one of the most meaningful parts of, of Jesus as a, as a man and as a story to me is just that he, you know, here is this perfect person. Um, and, and yet he wept for his body and, and was consumed by suffering, uh, and, and suffering for just, you know, his very immediate, uh, earthly experience at times. And I think that really allows for, for some more self-compassion than I think, uh, we, we always allow ourselves, you know, even, even if we were to be as Christ-like as possible, I think there would still be times where we're consumed by suffering and we weep and we, um, you know, maybe, maybe we can still maintain some sense of that connection to God, but, uh, it's definitely not at the forefront. Well, absolutely. I mean, even God suffered. Yeah. So, um, we're not alone in our pain ever. In the ESV, chapter three is, it has a header uh, in it that says, great is your faithfulness. And this is, um, this will jump right into affliction and suffering. It says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. His here is God. Um, the NRSV specifically says, I am the one who has seen affliction under the rod of God's wrath. So uh, the first time I read this in just the ESV, I was like, who is he? What are you talking <laughs> about? And then obviously further along, you kind of get to more specifics, but it was helpful for me to double check that because it took me out of it for a second. I, I didn't really know who was being referred to. Um, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Why, why is God doing this? Why does God make us uh, dwell in darkness? Why does God uh, made the, make the flesh and the skin waste away? Um, why has God brought us into darkness? Yeah, and, and complete isolation. And, you know, it's not even... You know, oftentimes it sort of, especially in the Old Testament, it seems more like God maybe just allows for more natural or more external tragedies to happen to people or for, you know, some other group of people to um, decimate another or um, for very evil individuals to uh, commit atrocities um, against um, characters in the Bible um, or people in the Bible. Um, but this verse is very specific in you know, God himself is turning his rod against, against, um, he said Jeremiah and, um, that he very, it, it, it seems more personal and more like, you know, God himself is, is causing this suffering. Now I listened to a few, um, different sermons on this, this book and specifically this chapter. And most people, the consensus seems to be, at least in, in the Christian sermons that I was listening to, is that this is because of sin. That this is essentially the way that Jeremiah is framing this, is that this is suffering due to sin. 
uh, and do to questioning God. And that's sort of this trope that gets, especially in the Old Testament, gets brought up a lot, where if you don't ask a question of God that you aren't prepared to know the answer of, don't bring your doubts to God and uh, accuse him of not being able to do something or not being able to, um, to, to help you. Don't sin in the many different ways that we've learned what sin is all about. And, and Lord knows in the first five books of the Old Testament, we learn all about the different kinds of sin that we can, and, and it just goes on and on. I mean, the list is so long in the Bible of the different ways that we sin against God. So obviously it's very daunting to read this and go, oh, so this is a, specifically, this is a punishment for all the bad things that I do. Um, and that, that was something that I struggled with. The more I learned about this passage, the more I read this, this chapter, mm-hmm. I, I have a very difficult time reconciling in my faith, a vengeful God, a God that um, reacts in this way to punish, to be punitive to his believers, to his followers. Yeah, I I absolutely struggle in the same way. I I mean, I, I struggle even with the any sort of um, effability of uh, of God in, in our conception of Him. Any any sort of knowable conception of God, I, I think I struggle with um, as opposed to more of a sort of like universalist sense of a, a force or. or um, you know, the, the way that things have happened or, or something like that. Um, I do, I struggle with a lot, uh, connecting to a lot of Christian framework, but that really takes the cake as far as, uh, what, what is difficult to, difficult to, yeah, to reconcile and, and connect with is this, this idea of, you know, a guy in the sky who's watching me and, and taking a list of, of my mistakes, um, and that, you know, he gave me, you know, free will, but like also shaped me with these experiences and these, um, these events throughout my life and, and the nature and nurture are, are all his doing. So why on earth would he be punishing me for the way he made me or for, um, you know, the choices that only made sense for me as, you know, in my experience to, to make at the time, um, I think the easiest way for me to reconcile it with how I view God is to say this isn't like a cosmic spanking. This isn't like um, this isn't just uh, like corporal punishment for for the sake of uh, getting back at you for the things that you did. It implies and says outright elsewhere in the Bible that suffering and tribulation and temptation build our faith. They actually help us to better understand God. They um, teach us about what life, the entire realm, the entire scope of what life is, and then really makes us understand and really helps us focus on the good things. um, This is why I think so many people who are in difficult situations or going through traumatic situations in their lives are brought to God in those times because they've now experienced all the way over here how bad life can be. And they would much rather swing the pendulum to the other side. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that was sort of in our sort of initial conversation that led to this, uh, this topic, um, for, for this episode, that was sort of more the thing that we meant to focus on, I think, was sort of those um, unexpectable rewards or not, not rewards necessarily, but the perspective and the, the gratitude that comes with um, 
the end of, of a period of darkness and, and tribulation and, and suffering. The proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Um, going to Lamentations 3, 7, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of run through a few stanzas here because it's all kind of getting the same point across. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I have become the laughing stock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. There's a new kind of suffering that's introduced here, not just the suffering of pain uh, and withering away, but humiliation. Embarrassment, humiliation is something that I think anyone who at any point in their lives has has been of a transsexual experience knows acutely how humiliating it is to be trans. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an it is an unspeakable way of feeling that, um, and, and I don't mean to be histrionic about this. I really don't want to to be overly dramatic, but. I think that um, this passage, this specific verse spoke to me so, so intensely because of the way that we are expected to navigate life as functional, uh, normal adults, while also having this one thing about us that essentially always and forever will cast us out of what people consider to be normal. Yeah. And I think, I think the imagery, I mean, there's so much vivid imagery just in the stanzas you just read, um, but especially as that humiliation and that, you know, total degra- degradation um, uh, can be described so well, I think, with some of this imagery, you know, um, like my, uh, I'm reading the NRSV and um, it says, um, he has blocked my ways with hewn stones. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. Um, you know, he um, shot into my vitals, the arrow of his quiver. Um, and he has filled me with bitterness and sated me with wormwood. I think all of those, you know, they touch on so many different aspects of the sort of suffering that comes with, um, you know, walking walking through life as this intensely, intensely humiliated class of person. Um, and I, I think there's definitely other, um, you know, anyone, anyone who with, who walks through life, I mean, lepers are so commonly mentioned in the Bible. It, it really feels like you're, you're a leper or something, um, or just that, you know, there, anything at your disposal, any, any path towards escape or any tool for standing up for yourself or any, um, feeling of respite or any, um, any sense of inner peace or, or inner 
justification or goodness. It, it feels like it's all shut down and, and taken away from you. And yeah, I think, I think so commonly, um, you know, connecting with other trans women on, online, there are so many of us who, um, you know, it, it seems so ridiculous to them, so beyond ridiculous that, uh, to them that a trans woman would connect with Christianity um, because of their experience with the judgment and the, the vile and, you know, bitter treatment they've, they've experienced from Christians and even just from the message they've received in our culture, you know. I think, um, you know, any of the, the people in that um, sort of uh, crusade on the Capitol that uh, uh, was, you know, um, interwoven with so much um, sort of nominal, nominally Christian um, imagery and language, um, you know, so many of those people view, you know, people like us living living our lives as we do and just trying to, to manage as, you know, one of the ultimate evils that they need to be warriors against. Um, <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I think especially the bitterness in Wormwood, um, you know, feeling, feeling so warped and so twisted uh, and having it uh, just feel like my, you know, your whole body is... Um, poisoned and rejected and, uh, and wrong and unworthy and, um, that you're so, uh, resentful, um, because of all of that. I think that that line specifically speaks out, stands out to me the most. Uh, and that's something I really struggle with in my, you know, I can, um, I can sort of accept, um, turning the other cheek and, um, uh, for lack of a better term being shat on. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, feeling so hateful at times and so unable to connect with people at large and, and so, so unable to accept um, accept people of different experiences of, of gender or, um, you know, make any, make any room for people who I consider to have, who I'm jealous of and, and who I, um, you know, am, am jealous of their experience. I, I struggle with a lot of resentment um, and a lot of sort of projecting my my pain onto these people who aren't really connected to it or, or upholding it but um assumably uphold it elsewhere in their lives and uh it, it makes me feel like a, a terrible christian <laughs> um <laughs> to uh to you know i've i've uh, got a miles long a block list on um both Facebook and Twitter, just because I just don't want to see people who remind me of, of my pain and, and my experience and my jealousy. But um, it feels very wrong of me to not uh, just take it on the chin every time um, and to um, just open myself up and, and ignore how, how much I hurt and how sad I am and how jealous I am. But uh, it feels like a greater challenge than I can begin to face. It's very difficult not to be made bitter by that experience. And it's something that early on, um, when I, th the whole reason really that I started a Twitter account called Trans Regret Snoopy was because of that bitterness that was inside of me from this, this experience that I was having. And it's, it's not, a, like I've said a number of times, not an earnest expression of being regretful for being trans, but um, it, the, you know, dealing with a cathartic response to the humiliation and the degradation and the um, oppression in, in one way or another. And, uh, you know, rightfully so, people saw that account early on and, and the things that um, I was posting and it, 
I was accused of being a cancer. I was accused of being, um, you know, essentially this just negative, awful presence in, in the world. And in a lot of ways, I regret that. I regret how much negativity I, I stirred up <laughs> at that time because I, I really want my presence in this world to be one that's positive, to be one that's full of love. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's very easy to grow bitter. It's very easy for you to lose your hope in the Lord, uh, as it says in verse 18. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's one of the greatest um, pains and sufferings as, as having, you know, this this hard one and hard, hard fought for a desire just to be a good person and a loving presence and, and having that, even that be, be taken from you and, and being turned into, um, yeah, someone, someone who you would, you would reproach, um, on the inside. Um, it, it it's, uh, it's a very, uh, far, far reach of, of suffering. We're about to hit the turn here. Um, and it's a very dramatic one. So jumping back in at verse 19, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is more like how I grapple with suffering. This is more how I frame suffering in my mind and the way that God plays a part in it. I, and maybe this is bad theology, but I don't know how to envision a God that will cause this kind of suffering, but I do know how to envision a God that can't always stop it and that he loves us through it. He continues um, to give us grace in our times of need and and give us hope in our times of suffering. Um, And that hope, that love, that grace never ends. It is a wide expanse. I was reading one of uh, the Bible plans that I'm doing right now, gave this image of an ocean and each of us is here with a teaspoon And all we really need to fill our faith is to fill that teaspoon. There is no way that we will ever take all of what God has to offer. Hmm. We won't even begin to scratch the surface. Um, The amount of love that God has for us and the amount of uh, grace that he has is so wide, it's inexplicable. Hmm. That's a a beautiful image. Yeah, I do do think the the specifically... um, the line, um, my soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. Uh, that's line 20. Um, I think that sort of speaks to the, the humiliation and, and more, more so like just humility or, you know, having, having been humbled, um, by, you know, these sort of, uh, at times atrocious experiences, um, and that it can put you in a position uh, where there is nothing left and there is nowhere left for you to turn other than God's love and, and sort of this appreciation and gratitude for the relief that can come just by, just by connecting with this 
force and this uh, sense of, of being loved and, and belonging um, and being upheld throughout anything and everything, you know, wherever this suffering came from, even if it was, if it was wrought upon yourself, um, that, you know, that, that suffering can humble you and that suffering can, um, prime you to connect with, with the love that is there. There's an equal and opposite risk, um, among Christians in general, I think as easy as it is to experience all this suffering and lose hope in God and to become embittered and to, um, completely disconnect yourself from God. There is this opposite risk that, um, Marjorie Kemp discusses in, um, in the book of Marjorie Kemp. This is in chapter four. Uh, it says, she felt no rebellion in her flesh. She was so strong as she thought that she feared no devil in hell for she performed such great bodily penance. She thought that she loved God more than he loved her. This is something you need to avoid. She was smitten with a deadly wound of vainglory and felt it not. This is a fascinating risk because it's something that I think a lot of people don't think about, especially Christians that say, you know, my, my, my faith is steadfast. I can't, I can't lose it. Um, there, there isn't a moment where you can worship God as much as he deserves to be worshiped or love God as much as he loves you. So it's important not to take that suffering in and say, oh yeah, well, I still love the guy because that's not really, uh, that's not how this relationship works. It's not, it's not that kind of balance. Um, however it is, however it is that you're suffering, uh, it is not, um, it's not an opportunity for you to show how much you, I, well, I still, this is, this is a vanity thing. I mean, this is something that pride, uh, feeds and that's something that we need to avoid too. Although I think it's a, a, a probably a less common occurrence. It is something that you see from time to time in someone who is so boastful of their uh, love of God that it almost seems like they're putting their self, that themselves above God. Hmm. Yeah. Just, just to admire your own strength or adversity more, more, uh, you know, in a, in a non-God honoring way, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, that is an interesting trap. And I think that also, um, I think sort of the other main sort of trap about suffering, um, in the context of Christianity can be people who come more from that perspective or, you know, are sort of striving for, for that or, or, um, deluding themselves into, into thinking that they have attained that, especially in like, you know, at least in the, in the sort of, um, Baptist community I, I sort of grew up in, um, you know, there's this idea of like, you know, you need to be, uh, taking it on the chin and, uh, you need to, um, sort of be, be strong in the face of your, your suffering. And I think oftentimes this sort of idea gets like communicated and passed down in a very, um, condescending and, and self-aggrandizing way, uh, where, you know, I think, I think this whole episode is sort of a breathe potential to, to slip into saying, you know, this is how you need to think of your suffering and, and react to it. And, um, there can be a sort of a lack of compassion and a lack of understanding and, um, a, a presumption to know, to know that you're, you're handling things in the right way and that you're authorized to, to tell others how to deal with their horrible experiences. Because, I mean, the fact of the matter is that there, there are people who come into this world and, and really experience nothing, nothing but 
suffering or, or suffering far beyond, um, you know, what, what we can really imagine. Um, and there are even people I've, I've encountered in my life who have gone through things that I, I can't possibly imagine um, surviving. And, and to tell any of those people, you know, you can't presume to, uh, to know that it wasn't like helpful for you. Um, I, th- I think that could be a very, a very harmful thing to say to someone and, and a very, um, on, on both fronts, like it can, you know, obviously it can be, uh, even traumatic for, for people to hear that. And it, and it so often is, but it, it can also very much lead to a warping of things and, a and a increase of, you know, this, this harmful and toxic pride and presumption that, that I think often comes with sort of conceiving of yourself as, as a good Christian or someone who's dedicating their lives, life to, to God and to, um, helping others. There is a very fine line between evangelizing and um, trying to shut people down uh, in the in in how expressing how they they feel about God. There's mm-hmm. a lot of folks that use their platforms to, and I hope I mean I, I may be guilty of this myself, and I hope I'm not. But there are a lot of uh, people who use their platforms to do exactly that to say, well, you're suffering, uh, you know, just pray through it, pal. You're going to get there. You'll be just fine. And in reality, we all suffer in different ways and we all experience vastly different um, levels of it. And, and, and the way we deal with that is the way that we deal with that. Um, God will show you how to get through that. Uh, it's not my place to, and I'm certainly not a therapist. I'm not even a Bible scholar and I have a Bible podcast, you know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just somebody who's enthusiastic about these things. So in bringing hope to people, you have to be sure not to uh, stifle their expression of their suffering. In, in trying to help them, you have to be um, sensitive not to sh- try to shut them down or shut them up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I, I find it, I do find it interesting that you mentioned, um, therapist, uh, just because I do find so many parallels between, um, Christianity and especially like fellowship and, and speaking with sort of, um, you know, these, you know, the, the structure of, of the church is very interesting to me in, in the sense of like, you know, there being these people in positions of authority, uh, who, who are, you know, um, at, at the very least purported to like, uh, have a better understanding and a better connection to God or be more dedicated to it, um, or have more experience. Um, and that these are people you can turn to and who will help you, um, both just in your life and alleviating suffering, but also in, in your sort of quest to have a, um, a relationship and connection with God. Um, and, uh, yeah, the, the, the parallel between, uh, those people and, and therapists who, you know, similarly are in this, um, position of authority almost, um, or at least of, um, being qualified to, to, um, give you care and to give you counsel and to help you, um, alleviate suffering in your life and, and, um, you know, maybe connect more with, with things that you want to connect more with. Um, I, I think both of those positions are, are so commonly um, filled by very flawed and, and unqualified people, at least in my experiences uh, throughout my, my life. Um, but I, th- I think similar levels of um, humility and, and 
care uh, are, are very necessary for, for people in either of those positions in how they uh, approach suffering very specifically. Um, I, I, I think there's so much room for invalidation and um, just not feeling, not feeling seen or heard and feeling, um, you know, that, that these people are being glib or, or not uh, caring to um, really engage with, with the level of pain that you have experienced. Um, and, and experiencing something like that is, uh, can so easily completely turn you off to, to the idea of, um, you know, improving through, through those avenues or, or having um, valuable connection with um, people in, in those positions of um, authority or, or counsel. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think one of the biggest turning points for me in my, in my personal life was um, when I, I started seeing a therapist who um, really did um, engage in my, in my suffering with me and, and did not, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like uh, they were being glib and I, I did feel seen by them and I did feel um, understood by them. But even still, they were able to, for the first time in my life, like do safely and, and um, compassionately um, and, and humbly um, challenge me to think about my suffering differently and not uh, hold on to it so tightly as this justified and, um, you know, hard fought for thing that uh, would not be understood by, by anyone and would not be um, treated in any way other than, you know, being written off and um, being, be, having someone um, approach things in a way where they, they challenge me to um, be grateful for or, or find, find at least some part of myself that can find a benefit or, or a use or um, some, some unforeseen um, value in, in some of the, you know, the awful experiences of my life. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, is, is the Bible challenges us to do. And, and that's like sort of what this whole verse is about. Um, but it's so messy and it's so uh, fraught uh, with with potential for just completely calcifying people um, to to these uh, these these ideas and these structures of um, sort of self improvement or alleviating suffering. It's really interesting because in the context of dealing with suffering um, as it relates to faith or as it relates to God, there are some very silver tongue preachers out there who are, who are very, um, convincing and, and can make people feel like they've made a huge difference in their lives. But ultimately the Bible is the thing that all of that comes from. Mm -hmm. So if at any point, like you're feeling like the person who is supposedly, you know, who's supposedly helping you is actually hindering you or maybe using their position in a way that isn't appropriate or they're being narcissistic or whatever. Well, guess what? you got a book that you can actually just read from at any time. And yeah, you're going to be confused by it a lot and you're going to be challenged by it a lot. But um, nothing that a preacher and any preacher worth their salt or a priest or whoever um, is going to say should come from anywhere but here. So let's dig back in it at, at verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke 
in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. That is, um, give your cheek to the one who strikes. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because Jesus said something just like that, and we covered that in an earlier episode. So, uh, in a way, I like what um, the the podcast Bible Buddies is doing because they're going uh, ep- uh, book by book, episode by episode. So it's all in order. So I think that sometimes this show being more topic based than it is like um, uh, specifically like chronological or or in order. Well, sometimes we'll jump around to these topics, but I kind of love it in that same way because we'll hit a passage like this and I'll go, turn your cheek. (laughs) I know this one. (laughs) Um, Anyway, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. To crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit, the Lord does not approve. How do you? How did you read this particular section? This is an interesting one to me. Yeah, there. I think I was very interested hearing um, your reading because I've only read the, the uh, NRSV version of this passage. Um, so um, my version reads: um, "For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone," um, and I find that word willingly, very interesting. Um, And then, yeah, it also reads, um, when human rights are perverted in the presence of the Most High, when when one's case is subverted, does the Lord not see it? Um, The use of the word human rights is really, that's a very like 20th century reading of of what's being said here. I mean, I've heard, um, that's, that's really interesting. Is there a is there any footnotes in the NRSV here? I was just going to check. Good and bad, willingly, from his heart. So they, they make mention of the phrase that the ESV uses at the footnote of the NRSV. Um, and I think willingly is probably a better way of wording that because mm-hmm. when, he, when, it's, when I read it, he does not afflict from his heart. It sounds like he's afflicting from somewhere else. Like he's afflicting from his brain, not his heart. He's he's thinking with his his wallet instead right. of his instead of his heart or something. You know, that's <laughs> uh, very strange. Yeah, I just I find uh, I do find these these two verses uh, very funky almost because it's so it is so contrary to just like Jeremiah's perspective just earlier in this in this chapter, um, and uh, I, I think that. Uh, that juxtaposition is very useful just you know that uh you know even this heartbroken prophet is struggling with uh, these feelings of complete desolation and and uh, despair and that god personally is smiting him um and that that later in the same chapter he is you know telling us um you know i was feeling those things but that is not actually God's will. Uh, and that is not, he's not actually like, okay, I've like finished crying. Um, I feel a bit better. Like there's some relief in my body and I, I can recognize that like there is something going on that I don't understand um, as far as why these things are happening to me. And, and especially a, a little earlier that um, it is good for one to bear the yoke in in his youth. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. These, uh, 
I've, I've felt like it's a, a very recurring theme in my life, sort of these long periods of isolation or, or from, from some, um, some sense of God or some sense of relief or, or goodness. Um, and that, uh, the newfound sort of appreciation and perspective that comes with the end of those periods. Um, like even for example, I, I recently moved from, um, Orlando, Florida, uh, up to, um, uh, Western North Carolina. Um, and, uh, I despised Orlando. It was a, it's a horrible atrocity of, of a city and it's so ugly. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's just, it's just a crop up around Disney and it's just, a, a it's, it's like a 50 square mile billboard. Um, so being back in, in the mountains and, and getting to like, you know, come home from work and go and, uh, sit by a pond in the woods every day, uh, like, I don't know. That's just sort of emblematic for me of, of being able to to appreciate and really cherish um, something that I, I knew I liked. Um, but like until there was this long period where I was like, OK, I get it. Like, get me out of this hell um, and, and put me back where I belong and give me give me what I need and what I want. Um, and then still not having it for, for a period after that, you know, once I once I am back in and I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I, I needed that. <laughs> um, and, and I, I think, um, I was, uh, maybe a more jovial example, but, uh, I think the same has been very true for like, um, you know, my, my sense of connection to God or, or my sense of connection with, with other people or, um, you know, being able to feel love or intimacy or, um, you know, it's, it's, a it's something that I, I can, it's a framework that I can apply to, to almost every sort of aspect of my life in some way or another. Um, and it's one of the reasons I really enjoyed this first so much or this, uh, chapter so much. The, the notion too, that, um, bearing the, the yoke in your youth is almost like this, this odd notion that we need to get our suffering out of the way early so mm. that later in our lives we can be happy. And, um, it's like this uh, biblical argument for like retirement or something where you have to, you, you wear the yoke and you do all the work and you do all the suffering, you get out of the way. And then once you're older, you'll be secure in your faith and you'll be able to say, oh gosh, that was really, that was really something else. I'm going to kick my feet up here. And... <laughs> I, I think it touches on um, sort of the way that I understand like it not being God's will uh, that, you know, he is not, causing us suffering without, you know, from his heart because he wants to, or because he thinks we deserve it or, um, or anything like that. I, th I think sort of this idea that it's just sort of two sides of the same coin and to realize that there is, you know, to realize that there is light, there has to be an experience of darkness and to, um, you know, if, if, if we are just, I, th I think this even can be in a broader sense, sort of my idea of, of God as like, you know, every, each, each and every one of us and every aspect of, of this universe sort of being a part of God that has been divided um, from himself and like, you know, um, every, everything in existence in, in, in my view is um, an aspect and a sort of a manifestation and a division of God. Um, and, you know, God brought everything into existence and divided himself and, and created dichotomies and, and light and dark and, and, and all these shades of gray. Um, and, you know, I, I can't presume to ever know 
his purposes in anything or, or anything like that. But I think uh, one way that I, I sort of understand um, the universe and God is that like there is something good and there is some positive aspect to division and and difference and um, and there being you know a separation of of light and dark um, and and that like ha- having things divided um, and and having things you know sit in in the negative or the, or the dark side for a while um, brings brings perspective that the light exists and and is different and is good and is is holy and is relieving um, and I you know I, I sort of believe you know everything um, at some point will everything that has divi- been divided from God and uh, and this universe will at some point you know once again sort of reach singularity and reach perfection and unity and eternity again. Um, and that it is good that, that everything was divided and it is good that everything will be returned to one. Um, and that there's, there's something, uh, desirable about that for, for, or, or at least that it is some aspect of, of God's will. Um, not that I necessarily know his will or whatever, but you know, I, I know that, I know that I am here and I know that at one point everything was in singularity and perpetuity and and perfection and existed outside of time, but that God brought into existence, like, you know, this universe and and difference and, um, and divided himself into into all these aspects and that one day he will unite it all again. Um, and that it's not meaningless that, you know, I'm here and that, and that you and I can have this conversation and that uh, I get to experience this world and, uh, you know, feel, feel the light on my face and, and talk to people and connect with them and uh, experience highs and lows and, and suffering and relief. It's really beautiful. I, the, the, the tension between 32 and 33 is um, the balance that it strikes is really strange to me because it kind of almost seems to be contradicting the notion that is very, very popular. I would say the most popular notion of God as this sovereign acting, all knowing, um, already written type of God, um, that in this, in these two verses, it would almost contradict that notion entirely by saying, God isn't causing you to suffer willingly, but he's causing you to suffer. So this is something that God is doing that he can't control. Why would there be a sovereign, all-knowing, all-doing, acting God that can't control what he's doing? Yeah. And I I think it, you know, definitely elsewhere in the Bible, it would tell us, you know, it is wrong to presume that there is anything that God cannot do or cannot control. Um, So I think the way that I interpret that is more that like, this is unavoidable and this is not in in order for god's will the thing that god really does will and really does desire for us to be carried out to be experienced this is a necessity and this is a part of that and that um it wouldn't work any other way it's nothing personal essentially (laughs) nothing personnel kid (laughs) Um, verse (laughs) verse 37 uh, says who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it 
Is it not the, from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. You have wrapped yourself with anger and pursued us, killing without pity. You have wrapped yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can pass through. You have made us scum and garbage among the people. Oh, I love the language here. It's it's troubling, but mm-hmm. you have made us scum and garbage among the people. I like that better. NRSV has <laughs> filth and rubbish. <laughs> it's very British of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The uh, This might be the suffering eking back in. I think this is not the the faithfulness mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we saw briefly between 22 and 37, 38, 39 or so. Here's where I think it's starting to go haywire again. Mm-hmm. And they're going, you don't even listen to my prayers. You put a cloud around yourself. It's like God is putting his fingers in his ears and going, la, 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 la. I don't hear you. Oh, um, interesting. I... I I almost read this sort of as this like seamless transition, like in, in the beginning of the, the chapter being um, sort of more just lamenting outwardly and then um, transitioning more into like speaking directly to God and then more like preaching to the reader. But then I, I read, I, I was hearing you read this section. I um, read it more like from, from 43 onwards, more is speaking to um I guess the Babylonians, like whoever destroyed Jerusalem or so, it seemed more like, like, well, I don't know. It's, it's difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe this is all directed at God. Um, but I, I, yeah, I read this almost more as like decrying, decrying the enemies and saying like, you know, you bastards have, have killed us and, and destroyed everything. And, uh, like almost like him coming to this realization that, uh, this was not God's will necessarily. And then being like, I guess it's the Babylonians will. <laughs> the, the, the section uh, in verses 40 and 41, they're actually saying, let us lift our hands up to the Lord. Let us pray to the Lord. And here's how we're going to pray. We've transgressed and rebelled and you have not forgiven. This is a really weird prayer. If that's really what's going on here. And again, I'm not sure if I'm reading this exactly right, but um, why would you pray to God like this? Why would you say, but that's what Lamentations is. That's what this entire book is. Is it saying, God, I know you're there and I'm ticked off, bud, because <laughs> this is really bad. It's a bad situation down here. Yeah, I think I think that does make more, more sense to me, that reading of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, so interesting. I think it's a very, I'm very glad that this is, in the Bible and that it does t- touch on this. Cause I think it's a very, um, it's a very human impulse. I mean, uh, I guess, you know, we don't see Jesus being like, what the hell are you doing, man? Uh, but we do see him <laughs> like, Hey, if there's any other way, please, like, this is not great for me. Like, um, mm-hmm. like even him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> That's a yikes from me, bud. <laughs> the, um, uh, in verse 46, all our enemies open their mouths against us. This is the Babylonians, I think they're referring to here. Uh, panic and pitfall have come upon us. Devastation and destruction. My eyes flow. 
with rivers of tears because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. My eyes will flow without ceasing, without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. My eyes cause me grief at the fate of all the daughters of my city. Um, this to me is like speaking to, and, and we didn't really give a lot of historical context here before we dug in because there's obviously more of a personal connection that I think we both had with this. But this is a time where um, the people of Judah were like killing and eating each other because there was so much famine and they were they were being murdered in the streets on a regular basis by the Babylonians. They were being invaded and killed uh, and, and the, the level to which they have seen awful things is uh, is incredible. In verse 52, I've been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. So they're stoning people in, in pits? Mm-hmm. That's messed up. Yeah, I, I found it interesting in, um, in 48... Um, uh, the NRSV just reads, um, my eyes flow with rivers of tears because of the destruction of my people. And I, I, I do feel like that suits the, the sort of modern reader a little more um, because I think there's so much less emphasis these days on like, you know, the city you live in or the state you live in or, or anything like that because of, you know, just, just how the world has changed and everything. But, you know, my people is, um, I think, easier to connect to. You know, there's, there's um, I think... Almost everyone has some sort of, you know, people that they see as similar to themselves and, and don't wish to see destroyed or, or suffering. Um, yeah, the, the language in ESV is a little weird. The daughters of the city, um, the daughters of the daughters yeah. of my people. Um, but that kind of there is a lot of emphasis, especially in the Old Testament, on familial structure. And, you know, regularly the church is referenced as like the bride of God. And, uh, and so so all of these little parts of the family all play a very, very important part. Less so, I think, until later on in the New Testament. But we are uh, rapidly approaching the end here. So let's let's power through and then we'll kind of sum it all up. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord. All their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord. According to the work of their hands, you will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. So now God is interested in punishing their enemies. I, I find a very uh, vital difference just in this last stanza. Um, the language that you were reading is saying, God will do this. Um, but what I have says, pay them back for their deeds, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them ang anguish of heart, your curse be upon them. Um, pursue them in anger and destroy them from under the Lord's heavens. So this reads much more like a request to me. And, and like Jeremiah saying, 
you know, when will their suffering come? Like our day of suffering has, has had no end. And these evildoers, uh, have been, you know, roaming free. And when are you going to put a stop to this? But, but the, the ESV sounds more like, I know that you are going to do this. I am like waiting for you to do this. There's a lot of consistency there with the, the, the nationalistic kind of bent that I think this translation has a lot of where, I mean, obviously the, the, the tribe of the chosen people is a, a functional, absolutely essential part of the Old Testament. But um, the language that is used is like, I am so certain that this is what God will do. And, and you're absolutely right. The NRSV's um, translation is very different. I was just going to look at the voice. Um, this is where the, the voice was the translation that actually tried to keep with the poetic um, conceit uh, of the original text. So it'll read a little bit awkwardly. Um, at verse 58, taking up my cause, Lord, you've been my champion. You've paid the price. You saved my life. Terrible things have been done to me. You've seen it, eternal one. Judge my case with justice. Their abuses against me are not hidden from you. You've seen all the awful things my enemies determined to do to me. Ugly words and uglier plans they have for me. There's you. We're getting towards the end. You've heard it all, eternal one. Under their breath, my adversaries whispering about me, devising nasty schemes all the time, unkind jokes at my expense, whether they're sitting around or going to and fro. Villains, you will return to their recompense, eternal Lord, according to their deeds. Visit them with anguish and an insensitivity to your words. Make your curse fall hard on them. Vehemently pummel them, <laughs> chase them down, <laughs> obliterate them from below the heavens of the eternal from the earth itself. So yeah, it reads super awkwardly, but I think it's more consistent with the message from the NRSV where it's asking rather than saying it will happen. Also, there are parts of the voice where they're pretty close to the sort of more studious translations of the Bible, but this is one where they are completely off the rails. Mm. I mean, this the way that that's worded is so different from what we were just mm. reading. That's really interesting. Yeah. I find it so so interesting that this uh, this whole chapter ends with a curse and with spite <laughs> and with malice. Um, and I mean, maybe like you know, definitely like understandably um, given given the the descriptions throughout the rest of it. But um, the the that the light it's it's more like you know it's not so much the light at the end of the tunnel in this in this chapter, but more like climbing up this mountain of uh, you know, thorns and, and boars or something. Um, and then reaching this clearing at the top and saying, you know, God is good and, and, you know, this won't be forever. But then having to climb back down through the same horrible thicket and, uh, and, and being down at the bottom again and just, you know, having, having this memory and this knowledge of the top and the, the conclusion that you reached, but it being far away and, and still struggling and still suffering and, and that newfound understanding, maybe taking your frustration, no longer pointing it towards God, but maybe just having nowhere else to put it other than um, the, the sort of bad actors causing the suffering. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me. It's, it's, it seems very different from the way people, um, you know, the way your, your typical 
sermon or even your typical like conversation or therapy session is structured, uh, you know, maybe ending on uh, ending on this good note, but that this ends um, almost where it started in, in this place of negativity and uh, and grief and uh, and frustration and rage even more so than the rest of it is is very interesting to me and it sort of speaks to it speaks more closely to the nature of, of my suffering at least just in that it uh, these moments of relief uh, and these moments of connection with God they don't last forever and they don't resolve into into a, a lasting uh, feeling that I can carry through the rest of my day or the rest of my week or the rest of my life. Um, I, I go back to suffering and I go back to uh, having these old wounds reopen or um, feeling these, these old pains again and again, um, no matter how many times I, you know, feel, feel relief from them. Um, you know, I do heal over time and everything. Um, and I do feel more relieved as, as, time goes on and things get more distant, but they don't heal quickly and they don't fade instantly and they don't, they don't go away as soon as I reach some closer understanding of, of God or, or a plan or, or, you know, the benefits of, of what I've gone through. I, it, it all helps, but, um, yeah, I'm still left, uh, full of wormwood. Um, at the end of the day. Um, and it's difficult. And I think it's, it's, it's nice to me that it resolves in that way or just that it, it doesn't feel, you know, invalidating or unrealistic that, uh, or, or it doesn't feel wrong of me that I'm still dealing with those things after, after already having found some, some sort of sense of relief, um, in, in God or faith or, uh, in, in connection with others. The, the thing that stuck out to me the most is the, the, the amount of ire, the amount of anger and hatred towards enemies, political national enemies in the Old Testament, really isn't mirrored anywhere in the New Testament except for um, when it comes to Satan. They talk about the enemy. They talk about uh, the one who tents. That, that, that is the only person who is worthy of such hatred. Um, they don't really cast wide nets in the New Testament as much as they do in the Old Testament. And I, I know that um, Father Spencer, I'm sorry, he advised me against this heresy of, uh, of speaking as though God is different in the Old Testament from the New Testament. That, that it's not, you know, it's a different God. It's not the right, the right God or whatever. But I really, the language that's used in some of these, um, in some of these Old Testament books really challenges uh, you know, uh, this notion of uh, uniting, loving God, right? It, it is a very distinguished, very neat, delineated, uh, nationalist kind of message in a lot of places. And in this one, it is my enemies, these people. And, and of course, you'd feel that way if you'd, if you'd spent years being killed and having to eat your children because you had no food. And, and of course you would feel that way. So it's not like I'm, I'm begrudging the Judeans for, for being like this, but um, it's almost like the circle is completed in the opposite direction. When you start from the Old Testament and you end at the end of the New Testament, that it was all one, you're absolutely, you said this earlier on actually, it was all one and then it all got divided and then it all came back to one. 
which is like really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe my biggest struggle with the Bible is that, you know, I, I can't help but view it as 100% written by people and written by fallible people and written by written with a lens and um, a bias and written for specifically the, the, the people that they were preaching to at the time in a way that would, that would best get things across to them. Um, and I think that's something that, uh, is, you know, very, uh, ignored, I think by, um, a lot of, a lot of current, um, Protestant, uh, Protestants in the U S at the very least. Um, and, uh, I, I think it does, I think the Bible has potential to lead us awry because we are not rabbis. <laughs> we are not, uh, <laughs> we are not people who have dedicated our lives to understanding the history and the etymology and the, um, you know, uh, my, my dad will mention this, you know, that, you know, understanding the Bible takes a really vast pool of knowledge on like botany even, um, <laughs> just there, there are so many fields of, of, of knowledge that, uh, are really vital to, to understanding the, the context of the original writings and um, all of the different things that it could be saying um, and all of the different ways that it was probably intended to be interpreted at the time of the writing. And, and then like understanding all of the different ways it's been interpreting, interpreted since then, you know, it's, it's a deeply interesting um, sort of field of study to me. Um, and, and I don't think that anyone on, earth currently, I, I would, I would dare to say that like, probably no one has a full and complete understanding of the Bible, um, in the same sense that no one can know fully the word of God or the will of God. Um, and I, I really do think that these things should be taken in, in context to like the furthest extent of one's ability and, uh, and taken with, you know, in a, in a humble and, um, yeah, and, and deferential sort of way, um, and also not putting too much faith in, in any one person's interpretation, uh, because we're all people and we're all flawed, and uh, and all of the people who wrote the Bible were flawed. And maybe that is heretical, and there, there are sections that are meant to be like, you know, like this person uh, was speaking directly to God, and God was speaking directly to them, and uh, whatever is written is the word of God, and that's fact. Um but I don't, I don't know if I buy that in, um, you know, thousands of years of, of translation and, uh, and editing and, um, recontextualizing that, uh, you know, everything has stayed pure to the intent, um, or, or even that it can, it, that there's the possibility for it to have stayed pure to the intent, intent or pure to, to God's word or his will. I think it's very possible that the, original texts were the inspired word of God. I think that it's also more likely that through hundreds and thousands of years of um, uh, re-translating and re-editing and re-understanding and cultural things changing, that this is the best that we can do. It's the best that we have in our connection with God. Um, so I'm not prepared to say that 
that um, we need to take the Bible with a grain of salt, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it would be foolish to not accept that, having read now, what, three different translations over the course of this episode, that um, it can say a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And the really important parts are the ones where all those translations seem to be consistent. They seem to be similar. Yeah, and and also where they where they're consistent with, I, I think I think a person's own experiences is important, and it, it's not something to ignore. And I think their understanding of sort of the nature of God and the nature of the universe uh, can be a really useful thing, and, and is sort of vital in in them being able to connect personally with scripture and connect personally with God. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, I think I, I really wish that there were more focus on that and more focus on sort of the way that you sort of naturally approach God or connect with God or, or the contexts where you've felt touched by God. Um, I mean, for me, I didn't, uh, I think I didn't, truly feel a connection with God until, um, I started singing in choirs and, um, through, throughout high school. And, and even after some time, um, spent sort of developing that, um, and, and getting to a point where I felt very, uh, like I was really doing something and I was really doing something with, with other people, um, is, is when I started to feel, uh, on, on rare occasions, but that, uh, that sort of light and that glory. And then, um, even then, I don't feel like I was able to really realize that that was more than just a, a great feeling and that that was a connection sort of with, with God and, and the nature of, of the world and oneness or whatever until I did a lot more sort of metaphysical uh, sort of zooming out or soul searching or whatever or thinking about the sort of the nature of things and um, and, and sort of reckoning that with um, my understanding of of a scientific view of the universe. Um, and I think that all of those things were really vital for me in being able to connect with God and to connect with scripture now. Um, but I think they would also be considered the wrong way. Um, and, and something that I shouldn't be mentioning on a, on a Bible study podcast, um, by, (laughs) you know, by, by, you know, a huge swath of, of Christians these days. Um, but, you know, of course, I would hope that uh, everything I've said about, you know, humans being fallible and needing to take people with, two, with, a, with a grain of salt at the very least uh, should, should be applied to me too. <laughs> I think that many people would say um, that there shouldn't be a Bible podcast called Transregrets Newbie Presents the Bible. So in and of itself, I think the show is probably going to be considered heretical to a lot of people. And, and I'm not really interested in entertaining um, that notion because it's sort of freeing. Yeah, it is because well, I mean, having spent my life the way that I've spent my life, I'm prepared to, for people to automatically rule me out. So I don't want you to be self-conscious about, about any of the conversation that we had. I, I feel like this was a very uh, productive, extremely intelligent and coherent conversation about what is probably the most difficult book of the Bible that I've read so far. Um, and it is a, uh, it's a, it's a monster. It's a small book, but it is a monster as emotionally and intellectually and theologically because of the difficult topics that it, that it Mm -hmm. tackles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. It, uh, 
we, we had to postpone this recording for a week, um, uh, through circumstances out of our control. And, uh, it's, it's sort of been, you know, I think that initial conversation that led to us uh, choosing this, uh, this topic was, yeah, it was actually held like on my, on my way up to, uh, to North Carolina where I'm living now. And it was, um, over a month ago, um, like a, a month and a week ago. Uh, so it's, it's, it, it feels like it's been a long time coming. Uh, and it, it was a very, um, I sort of had a lot of, um, anticipation and, and hopes for it. Um, and I was, I've, I've sort of maintained a lot of excitement for this episode and, and just having this conversation with you more in depth, um, on a more personal level. Um, and yeah, I, I feel very happy with it. And, uh, I think that we did cover some very tricky ground. Uh, and I think that we did a, a, a decent job at the very least. I think we did a bang up job. A bang up job. <laughs> um, we're going to be uh, shifting from the tradition of me reading a poem at the end of the episode. Um, but before we do that, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and, and what, uh, what any, any projects that you want to plug? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a, uh, a personal Twitter that I want to plug, really. Uh, I think Twitter kind of sucks bad. Um, but I do I do have a... I prefer Facebook. I feel like it's a little more personal and it has less of that element of striving to uh, <laughs> um, be seen and heard by, by a wider audience or whatever uh, that makes Twitter yucky to me. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. If, uh, if anyone f- feels like they... Uh, want to like talk to me, uh, you can find me on Facebook. My name is Nadia Jane. Um, I don't know. There's probably a few of me, but I, I, I look like a trans woman, so that might help you. Um, (laughs) um, but, uh, beyond that, um, I've just started a, a Christian podcast with my, my good friend, Nick Morrow, who's Australian. So that's fun. Um, get a, get some variety in voices. Um, it's called Christians Mingle and I think it'll just be on SoundCloud for now. We've, uh, we've recorded our first episode, but it hasn't gone up yet. We'll probably try and get it up, um, a couple days before, uh, this one goes up, but you can find, uh, Christians Mingle on Twitter. Uh, the handle is, uh, X-T-I-A-N-S, uh, Mingle. So it's X-T-I-A-N-S-M-I-N-G-L-E. Um, cause we didn't meet the character limit for the handle, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be talking. It, it's sort of just a, a Christian discussion podcast, um, with a bit of a focus on technology and how technology interacts with sort of the social aspect of Christianity and fellowship and, uh, communication between, uh, Christians, uh, in the online world. That's a really fascinating topic. And it, it, it's something that I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, people really address, um, at least in podcast form. So I'm really looking forward to hearing it. And, um, thank you again for, for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, a very fun episode. So you had an idea to read some lyrics today. Do you want to give folks a little bit of a, a context? Yeah. Um, so the musician, um, producer, uh, is very, very celebrated, um, 
trans woman artist, uh, Sophie, um, the news of her passing through, uh, through a tragic accident, um, landed this morning. Um, and, uh, I was, uh, you know, have, have a sort of personal connection with her music and, um, yeah, was, was sort of quite affected by her passing this morning as I think a lot of, uh, trans women, especially my age were. Um, so I'm going to be reading the lyrics to the song, It's Okay to Cry by Sophie, uh, which I think, um, I think is appropriate for the episode. I wanted to do a quick, uh, prayer for Sophie before we did the lyrics and we'll end on the lyrics just like we usually end on the poem. This is from the Book of Common Prayer uh, in the section about the burial of the dead. O Lord Jesus Christ, who by thy death didst take away the sting of death, grant unto us thy servants so to follow in faith where thou hast led the way, that we may at length fall asleep peacefully in thee and awake up after thy likeness through thy mercy, who livest with the Father and the Holy Ghost, one God, world without end. Amen. It's okay to cry. I don't mean to reproach you by saying this. I know that scares you. All of the big occasions you might have missed. No, I accept you. I don't even need to know your reasons. It's okay. I think you sometimes forget. I would know you best. I hope you don't take this the wrong way but I think your inside is your best side. I, was that a teardrop in your eye? I never thought I'd see you cry. Just know whatever hurts, it's all mine. It's okay to cry. I can see the truth through all the lies. And even after all this time, just know you've got nothing to hide. It's okay to cry. I remember one time you were lost. I came to find you. And I knocked on your front door. That was you I'd never seen before. And I saw the magazine you were reading. And I read the page. And if I had just one single wish, I wish I could have said this. It's okay to cry. There's a world inside you. I want to know what it feels like. I want to go there with you. So we've all got a dark place. Maybe if we shine some light there, it won't be so hard. I want to know those parts of you. I, was that a teardrop in your eye? I never thought I'd see you cry. Just know whatever hurts, it's all mine. It's okay to cry. I can see the truth through all the lies. And even after all this time, whatever it is, just know it's all right. It's okay to cry. It's okay to cry. Thanks everybody. Your best side. Oh, hi. 
Thought I'd see you cry Just know what I 